Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition. It is June 15th, 2021, episode 108. I'm Gavin Ficken, and I'm joined by Brad Wood this week. How you doing, Brad? Um, I'm in a whirlwind, Gavin. Just got back from vacation. I'm catching up on a thousand unread messages. You know how that goes? Yep. But just delete them all. Delete if they're important, they'll get back to you. <laughs> Mark is red. Done. Yep. So I'm, uh, I'm sporting my new T-shirt. You told me you guys talked about this last week. If I can get up here on the camera, it says command box, the server is up. This is brand new from our order store. Um, I just went and ordered mine a few days ago and it came in the mail. So all you command box users get your server is up t-shirt that that came from a conversation we had on the box team Slack. Somebody screenshotted the little servers up and it was like the most beautiful thing in the world. And I was like, that needs to be a t-shirt. Yep. That's pretty cool. Awesome. I'm glad you got it. Glad you like it. What's the material it's, like? It's, it's comfy? Yeah, it's comfy. It's got the stretch to it, you know, so it's not mm. like the the a material that doesn't stretch or whatever. It's not really abrasive. It's a nice soft shirt. It's comfortable. That's cool. That's one of the biggest Modern. things ordering online is you never know what type of material it is. A lot of swag shirts that you get from certain places, the materials the are... Stuff. Yeah, they're either cheap or they're amazing, and it's like, yeah. I usually yeah. give, the, give the cheap ones to other people i keep the nice ones yeah, this, super this, soft this one's nice it's nice and soft so go go order yours now from the box live store like i did cool cool well let's thank our sponsor order solutions they're the makers of cold box command box forge box test box and almost every other box out there um they make this podcast possible providing the funding and the people uh <laughs> and so that's pretty useful um a few ways you can say thanks back to Auto Solutions if you like the podcast is go like and subscribe our YouTube channel. We're over 500 now, so thank you to those who have done that. Um, the other thing you can do is sign up for a free or paid account on CFCast, which is releasing new content every week. And then we have a book, um, 102 Cold Blocks HMVCT Quick Tips and Tricks on Gumroad, which you can purchase now as well. So those are ways you can say thanks back to Auto Solution, but a bigger, better way even is with Patreon support. So we have uh, some Patreon packages up on patreon.com and we have 36 amazing people supporting us and providing 83% of the funding for this podcast all by themselves. So that's really awesome. So we uh, we have a few perks for them as well. So if you're at a certain package or higher, you actually get things like CFCast subscription for free. So uh, we thank them and without them, we would really be struggling to, to make this podcast podcast and uh thanks to everyone tuning in live right now i see daniel uh is in from riverside california so what's up daniel okay so we like having the people in the live chat keeping us honest uh catching us it's gonna take more than a live chat for that (laughs) yeah so but anyway thanks to everybody who makes this podcast possible so now we've done that let's get on with the show so first up brad you want to tell us about Adobe Cold Fusion's newest support feature? Yeah, so if, if you guys remember, I'm old enough to remember. Um, you know, a few years ago, I, I forget exactly what year it was now, time flies by, 
um, when you're as old as I am. So Oracle changed their licensing and Java used to be, you know, free for commercial use and the licensing changes came up and Adobe was kind of scrambling to figure out what they were going to do. And they were talking about supporting an open JDK um, variant. And of course the open JDK versions of Java are very close to Oracle. They're kind of a downstream. They get the fixes a little bit later. Um, but the, the last minute, um, Adobe never officially supported an open JDK variant and they, they cut a deal with um, Oracle. And so, you know, users uh, with an Adobe Cold Fusion license would also be licensed for the Oracle JDK. So Adobe's announced that that deal they cut with Oracle is up in December, 2022, which is a little ways away, um, but there is an end date to it. It's not a perpetual deal. And I'm sure they probably, you know, wrote a large check to Oracle for that. I really have no clue, I'm just guessing. But Oracle doesn't give away their commercial support for free, that's for sure. Um, so what Adobe has done now is they're adding support for Azul uh, OpenJDK, which is one of the pretty popular OpenJDK versions. If you've ever used Pete Freitag's Minibox Docker container, he uses um, Azul, uh, mostly because they have an incredibly tiny version, it's like 40 megs. Um, so I think there's a pre-release I saw on Slack uh, not a pre-release, but like a pre-release program for testing this. Um, but this is going to be basically according to Adobe's blog post. This isn't necessarily just an. In addition to Oracle, we have this. This is kind of like this is the direction we're heading, and you're going to want to change. You know, eventually they they recommend you make a plan to get over to Azul. Um, because eventually when that deal with Oracle um falls not falls through but ends, uh, you'll no longer have support on more commercial use uh, for the Oracle JDK. So at least by that deadline, you're gonna to wanna to be over on Azul. So you don't wanna be scrambling, testing that at the last minute. Um, we use Adopt Open JDK for a lot of our stuff, which is now called Eclipse Adoptium. Um, I would have voted for that. In fact, if you scroll out of the comments, I put a comment saying, please support this as well. Because mm -hmm. um, most Open JDK releases are like 99% the same. They all get the same fixes, just a matter of you know a few weeks difference and they all have their own separate builds. Um, ooh, Charlie just commented one minute ago. Um, yep, he's writing a blog so, post about this too, he said. So he's got I'm some sure additional information in here for us. I'm sure Charlie is. So anyway, so that's coming. If you're an Adobe Cold Fusion user and it's important to you to be on one of the supported versions of Oracle JDK, um, Azul does offer support um, like Oracle does, which is probably why uh, Adobe isn't bothering with things like Eclipse Adoptium or Adopt uh, Open JDK because those don't come with support, not in the same way that um, Azul or Oracle does. Um, you, you can't pay them money to, you know, with the promise of fixing your bugs. So anyway, that's something to be aware of. Uh, you can start testing that. It'll probably just work out of the box for 90, you know, 5% of the people out there. Every once in a while you run into some weirdness with the OpenJDK stuff based on classes that might not be there. But um, it, it's good to see that Adobe finally kind of we were able to circle back and get that um, open JDK support. I would prefer if they would officially support all of the open JDK versions so long as they pass the, the Java TCK, the, you know, the compliance test. Um, but obviously I think Adobe's focused on the, the open JDK vendors that will provide the same support or a similar support that Oracle did. Yeah. And it looks like they, you know, their builds are certified. So they've gone an extra step to validating, you know, that they meet the criteria, et cetera. So, yeah. So basically they're open, open JDK, but a certified version of it. So, so nice and extra safe. And yeah, like you said, extra support if, if needed. So good to, good to see them doing that. And uh, it sounds like a good, good choice too. So uh, they could have picked worse. <laughs> 
I could have picked worse. Well, there's not really a ton of OpenJDK versions out there. Yeah. I just know sometimes they make calls that I'm like, what did they do that for? <laughs> so I'm glad to see they're they're making a decision that we can support. So Okay, so next up, uh, we have some news on Into the Box 2021. So uh, after much deliberation, lots of survey responses, uh, we have decided to host this year's Into the Box live in person in Houston, Texas in September. Are you excited, Brad? I am incredibly excited. I've been, I was, I was rooting for this to be in person for a while just because I'm ready to get back to, to normal um and i miss seeing everybody so yeah, yeah. um we were i know that luis has kind of taken a, a, a leap of faith on this because it, it's hard. we have a lot of people that are like i'm gonna be there um other people that are like no i'm not gonna be able to travel um but i'm really hoping that you know we'll have a, a good chunk of people that'll be able to be there it's still several months away um hope this stuff will continue to open up yeah. fire up the barbecue david says i like that yeah yeah now we obviously know that uh international travelers are going to have some struggle um we know that certain people's companies won't let them travel at all right now because of covid and liability reasons so we understand that um but there's enough people that want to get out they need to get out of their house they need to see some people so uh we decided to to go ahead and do it so it's going to be a smaller version i'm sure but it's still going to be into the box at its best so um it, we are going to have two days full of great cfml content we're not doing the workshops this year though so um so this won't be a, a four-day event usually we have two days of workshops and then two days of conference it'll just be a two-day conference and i believe the dates are 23rd and 24th of september so um, we're finishing up the last few changes on the website now the call for speakers is coming out we have about two weeks for um um, for the call for speakers, we need to sort of get all those submissions in by the end of the June so we can start deciding and planning and get the speakers. They can make sure that they get travel arrangements, etc. So uh, it's full on uh, in person. So we got a lot to do in a few months, but it's going to be a lot of fun. So we're really looking forward to it. I know a lot of the orders team is uh, we're all vaccinated and ready to go. So, um, yeah, obviously, uh, Texas is pretty relaxed about a lot of things. Um, so we'll have to just see what the you know the requirements are there but we're hoping that we can uh, have a relatively normal into the box so good news for hopefully everybody. a happy box yes hopefully yeah. a happy box will be there we don't want any sad boxes uh, <laughs> i'm sure we can get some mariachi for socially distance it <laughs> if we need to <laughs> Uh, music might be uh, not allowed but uh also into the box the tam is going to be in person in december as well so we're we're excited about that uh and hopefully everything continues to just to move forward that way so so yeah so nice. into the box in person uh check your tickets i was worried about all the gas prices and the flight prices going up but apparently they're not as bad as i thought going to houston going to other places a little different so uh yeah, definitely check on that and see what you want to do. But uh, Shout Scott, out from the rooftops. Yep. If you are going um, to Into the Box, getting your ticket, I think it would be great to see people shout out a tweet um, just so we can kind of uh, let the community see what's going on, get some momentum for it. Yep, the Eventbrite pages, the website, everything will be up here this week, so keep an eye on it. But I want to give you guys the news as soon as we had it. So here we go. As soon as we had it. Yep. All right. Before I move on, I was Googling to, to circle back super quickly to the Azul stuff. 
we're talking about the Java SD certified. Um, for what it's worth, Adopt Open JDK before Eclipse gobbled it up and it became Adoptium, um, it did not um, have the certification, the JCK or the TCK compliance. And I just saw the little note on their uh, website, the Adopt website, that said that they were not able to reach an agreement with Oracle to use the, the test. Because the, the test for Java is a, a closed source thing. You have to go through all this paperwork to access it. It's like a private you know, thing that'll just hand out. So Adopt Open JDK was never certified because Oracle, they couldn't come to an agreement and they would never give them access to the test. But according to the, um, when the blogs, now that they become Eclipse Adoptium, it looks as though it has been approved to actually be certified Oh. Or the, the TCK for Java SD, um, which is just interesting. It, that doesn't mean a, a great deal to me because it's probably like realistically, it doesn't really matter. But for companies that, you know, that does matter, that's actually a, a good thing. It says that, uh, where's the sentence I'm looking for that I just read? Um, it said something to the effect of Eclipse went through great lengths to meet Oracle's. Yeah, here we go. The Eclipse Foundation and Adopt Open JDK went to great lengths to reconcile Oracle's requirements with the needs of the Adoptium community. The result is a compliant project which has access to the testing suite. Anyway, I can't imagine the amount of the piles of paperwork it takes to uh, get Oracle to give you access to their testing suite. But anyway, cool. that was just one last little tag on thing that I'd found Googling from my previous conversation. Very, very cool. <clears throat> okay, so we have a, a little uh, story in, from the trenches. Uh, had some server trouble yesterday for one of our clients. And after much hunting, picking, uh, debugging, I finally figured out that Hibernate was missing from Lucy. So it's kind of strange. We have a, a, a custom build. We use one of Brad's patches um, to include our query query stuff from, from that. So we basically got a 5.3.6 with a custom patch. But what it was happening was previously it was installing Hibernate and everything was working fine. And all of a sudden uh, yesterday it didn't install. So I, I pulled the image down locally to test it out because we're using Docker. And basically we figured out that Hibernate wasn't listed in the available apps to install unless you went to pre-releases. If you went to pre-releases, it was there. So with command box, we just added the extension ID to uh, one of the JVM args. And once that was in there, it installed properly and it fixed it. But I just wanted to let you guys know, we're not sure if it, if it's some weird, you know, subset that we ran into and no one else did, but if you get some error that says tree walker, not found, <laughs> basically it's can't find a piece of hibernate. And that's basically the, the issue that hibernate may not be installed. So I pulled the image locally, changed it to profile to development. So I could log into the Lucy admin itself, went to the Lucy extension, see it, so it wasn't there went and looked at the, you know, the available ones to install. So we don't know if something changed in Hibernate or some weird combination of things made it disappear for us. But um, yeah, it's, it was and, hibernating, Unfortunately, <laughs> it, happened, it happened on the base Docker image that our particular client used to power all of the Docker images. So when we, you know, as the images rebuilt, all of a sudden, the, you know, the issue kind of propagated out. Yeah, so we have our yeah, I mean, our build our base builds build once a week. So if something changed in the last you know last week see, or there, so, there was a, a beta release of the Hibernate Lucy extension on June eighth, mm -hmm. which if I was to 
guess I would say, I don't know how, but somehow that was one week ago. Somehow that may have affected why it wasn't installing. I, I was talking to Gavin earlier, there's so many moving parts of how and why and when Lucy lives extensions based on, you know, the manifest and the core and what versions it wants and the bundle, the extensions that come bundled with a loader jar. And then it sometimes it tries to download stuff, which may or may not work based on your internet. It's, it's rather difficult to debug this. And since they were on Lucy 536, the deploy logging is just absolutely horrendous in that version of Lucy and pretty much all previous versions. Um, lose the, the newest version of Lucy, thanks to Zach Spitzer, has like much improved deploy logging. So um, that doesn't help us or didn't help us, but it means that we'll get better in the future, at least as far as being able to find some logs that tell you what happened, tells you, tell you what happens. But yeah, when, when an extension just kind of doesn't install, it leaves you scratching your head trying to figure out what the heck happened. Yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to let people know in case they run into something similar. And then if it's not just us, then we can obviously try and figure out why it's not happening, why it's not installing. Maybe there's something else we can do. So I just started up a Lucy 536 server. I want to see if Hibernate shows up here. Now, this does not have that patch installed yeah. that our client did. So, of course, that that's one of the things that could change the behavior. Yeah. Oops, I can't spell Hibernate. It shows up for me as installed and in the list. Yeah. So that doesn't, that doesn't mean much of anything, unfortunately, <laughs> since there's so many variables that yeah, they may have fixed it right they, after that Docker base image was built. Like it might've been a, a, <laughs> a short window where our base image built without it and then they fixed it. And so now it's available, but Oh anyways. wait, no, no. So I uninstalled hibernate on my little test server. I started, so it would go from the installed section down to the uninstalled section. Yeah. And yeah. I think it, yeah, it still shows up as a pre-release. Yeah. I don't think that's right. That's going to be a bug. Now, this is an older version of Lucy, so it's maybe something that was fixed. But when I when I view stable releases of available extensions, Hibernate's not in the list. And that's what makes me wonder. Yeah, because like Hibernate just doesn't even exist in the page. I have to click pre-releases, and then it's like, oh, you mean this gate key. And when you click on it, you can see a bunch of pre-release stuff at the top. But if you go down, you can see some normal releases under it. So I'm wondering if there's so many released versions of pre-releases that... It looks for the last five or ten and tries to see if there's a stable or some have, weird logic like that. I have no clue how this code works, but it's probably some janky thing that looks at like the last version. And if it's a pre-release, it's like, oh, this whole extension is a pre-release. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I'm sure it's a little bit than that. But maybe it looks at like the last three or five or something. I wouldn't be. Uh, I wouldn't be so sure. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> I don't have a great deal of faith in uh, in how the extension manager works sometimes in Lucy. It works most of the time, and when it works, it's good. Uh, it doesn't always work, though. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, sometimes you're left scratching your head trying to figure out what the... Long story short, if you use on. Command Box, add all the extensions you need into the arguments, and we'll make sure they get installed, because that does work. So Yeah. So what, what we need, however, and this is difficult, is we, we, we need some sort of test in our Docker build that can fail the build if all the extensions we need didn't get installed. But the problem is, I don't. There's not a super good way to know if an extension got installed 
without like starting the Lucy server up and hitting a page that uses it. But, or, you know, running the get extension list function to make sure it shows up. Maybe we need to do that. I don't know. But that's the thing is we run our tests. Our tests would start the server up. You would think hitting some of the tests would have triggered it. Well, our base Docker image doesn't have any tests because we have just like a base image we reuse. I know. But that's, the, that's where it installs everything. But the build for the, the site that was actually running, it should have run it. So I'm wondering if something changed in the test version where we ran all the tests compared well, to when I'll, we deployed it. All right. So we're, we're a little off topic now because this, this yeah. is off in the weeds of how this particular client works. But I'll tell you what happened, Gavin. The client we're talking about, when they run their tests, they, they run the command box. Docker container. They use command box server start. They spin up a completely fresh instance, and that's what they run their test against. So For here, most of the, the sites, yeah. I know. Right, we, here's, <laughs> the, here's the takeaway, folks at home. Your test suite should actually run against the actual Docker container that's actually going to go on production, which is not what we had going on. We spun up a separate server for the test suite, which, of course, Hibernate installed fine in the separate server. Yeah. Long story short, if you get a tree walker error, it might be that. (laughs) (laughs) It might be that. Well, I I still think we need to... Well, it depends. uh, Here, I I just started up a Lucy 5.3.8 server. I want to see if Hibernate still shows as a pre-release. Because this could be a UI issue that Lucy fixed. Because Lucy 5.3.6 is only like 80,000 years old at this point. Yeah. Um, I mean, 5.3.7 is like eight months old. Well, I'll point. let you do that so, while I get on with the next one then. So. <laughs> I'll spoil all my fun. You can tell us the update in a minute here. But uh, okay, so next up, we have an online CF meetup this week. So um, on Thursday, June 17th, 11 a.m. Central Time. And we're going to have CF Modernization Challenges, Improving Legacy Code with David Byers. So uh, this one here is going to be a good session. Charlie's obviously hosting the online CF meetup again, and that'll be Thursday. So check that out. Uh, always, everyone's dealing with legacy code and upgrading one way or the other. Code I wrote last week is still already legacy. So uh, it's nice to see uh, more topics on this. So we do spend a lot of our time for orders, helping clients uh, modernize and, and improve legacy code. So it's, it's definitely something that uh, is very important to the whole CFML community. We also have All an right. orders webinar. Eric if you Peters- still, oh, still exist in Lucy 538. If okay. I start a Lucy 538 server right now, I uninstall Hibernate. It does not show up under the non-installed list unless I click pre-releases. And that's got to be a bug. Now, it may, it may just be a UI bug in the Lucy administrator, but I'm calling buggy, buggy pants on fire on this. Well, and I think it I think it may is probably related to why Hibernate. I don't know why, but I have a feeling it's related to why Hibernate wasn't installing. Yeah, so um, I wonder if there's something to do with your, um, your patch files manifest, like you said, when you look and see. Because maybe when you look at that version, that it's, if it's hard-coded the version versus just the ID. Maybe that's at play. So we'll have to check that out. We'll have to try to reproduce it. That's yeah. always the trick. <laughs> it's reproducing it. But well, I can reproduce. I got the Docker image that fails, so I can do it anytime there I want. Go. That's <laughs> the good thing about Docker is it makes it easy to reproduce for sure. Okay. Yeah. Moving okay. on. We'll back get to, back to Hibernate later. Yeah. So back to the show. <laughs> the Audis webinar for June is coming up. So Eric Peterson is going to be talking about build a blog in 30 minutes for quick. And this is a good timing for this uh, for this as well because we're actually going to be um, releasing videos for the quick um, workshop 
uh, over the next, um, I think it's the next month. So they're coming out this week um, with the CFCast videos. And you'll be able to start seeing the quick workshop. But the quick webinar is basically like a little intro to that. Uh, obviously, you have a little more time to go into it in, in the in the actual workshop. But this is basically a, a high, highlight overview of um, building a blog in 30 minutes with quick. So if you guys like it, the webinar, uh, the webinar is a, just a nice feeder into the CFCast video. So cool, cool. So next up, we have uh, just in case you missed it, Command Box Docker 3.4.0 uh, images released last week. Anything Yay. we didn't mention, Brad, that you wanted to say, Gavin, you're hopeless. Why didn't you tell them about this? Um, well, I don't know what you talked about last week. That's right, you're on vacation. Yeah, I was in Branson, Missouri, living the dream in like 100 degree heat out in the sun. It was terrible. No, um, I mean, there's really only two things to mention about it, in my opinion, the takeaways, which are latest version of Command Box yeah. and it moves over to the new built-in environment variable system that Command Box has out of the box. So instead of cool. setting an, an environment variable called port, you set one called box underscore server underscore web underscore HTTP underscore port. That, that, that example is one that actually got quite a bit longer, but not all necessarily longer. But that's <laughs> a, that's a built-in functionality in Command Box now, and anything and everything in the server.json can be set via environment variables. And so um, John did it really good. So it's all still backwards compatible, should be cross your fingers. So the old environment variables will still work until the next major bump of the Docker image, but you'll want to upgrade your builds to switch over to the new doc, the new environment variable syntax, um, which of course he has in the blog post. So Very as cool. long as you cover those two things, that's, that's the important stuff. Yep. And I'm excited as well, because this also ironed out a few kinks um, in the past where a bunch of logic built into the Docker image shell scripts wouldn't always completely match the, the default logic the command box did by itself. And you would get these like dueling behaviors that was hard to debug. But uh, John actually removed uh, like hundreds of lines of code of shell scripts in the Docker image and just simplified everything. And now it just passes it all on the command box. And so the logic should be a lot more consistent, which was my big takeaway that I was excited for. Cool. So next up, we have a reminder, State of the CF Union survey. Why should we fill it out, Brad? Um, because I will drive to your house and I will beat you. No. Um, you should fill it out because it's fun and everyone's doing it. All your friends have done it. You're probably the only person who hasn't done it. How do you and know? it's it's really fun to <laughs> it's really fun to see the the aggregate statistics across our community. And then we can all, you know, point fingers and make fun of, of people not using you know, source control or not using the CF engine we think they should use. Yeah, we definitely uh, use that information. I know a lot of different uh, vendors are using it too. So very important. Oh yeah, Adobe uses it, Ordis uses it because invariably what happens is, you know, we have these internal conversations at, at Ordis where Luis is like, ah, Elvis operator has a bug that's, you know, in Adobe ColdFusion 2016, but it's fixed in Adobe ColdFusion 2018. I think we should just drop support for 2016, right? You know, and then like myself or John Kloster, someone's like, well, hold on there a minute, Luis pulls up the results. I don't know. We got 40% of the community still using Adobe ColdFusion 2016. Okay, all right. We shouldn't drop support for it just yet. Yeah, so tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll do it next week. Um, so there have been 309 responses to the 2021 State of the CF Union survey. We normally have about four to 500. So um, yeah. get your lazy bums over and fill that out. Tell us what you're using. 
make sure to check all the uh, Ortis products that you're using yep. on there as well. Um, I, I'm especially excited to see the numbers on Dockers just because that's something that's been changing yeah, um, ho- a lot. Hopefully they can show that Swarm's way better than Kubernetes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so one of my favorite uh, questions, because the answers to this have been changing a lot like every year, is um, you know what Docker images are you using? Um, you know, because we have some people on custom images, we have the official Lucy image, we have the official Adobe image, then we have the Orta Solutions command box images, yay! Right, for both, you know, uh, Lucy and Adobe, and then, anyway, it's, it's, it's fun to see how those those numbers have changed, uh, where the adoption is. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's some big numbers, too, showing up compar- comparatively. There's still, a, there's a surprisingly large amount of people with just total custom-made images. Um, I wonder if they say, here's command box, and I'm going to custom on top of it, and they just pick custom. Because most people customize it. I hope that's not all from scratch. I, mean, I, I, a lot of I reworded this question this year specifically to try, try to prevent people from answering that. So yeah. if you look at it, it says command or just command box based image, meaning if uh, you're yeah. extending our image, if your image says from or just command box, you should check this box, but you are right. There could be people who say custom image just because they use the command box image and of course make their own images. We sort of expect you to. Um, and I think this is probably a multiple select. So people may have selected both. Yeah, um, the enough. Lucy command box, sorry, the, the command box based Lucy version um, has the most responses tied with just custom image. And the next one beneath that is the official Lucy image. From this, it would appear that there's more people doing Lucy on Docker than Adobe. But again, you have to take into account the skew of the survey. Um, there's quite likely more more Lucy people in general answering the survey. Yeah, and um, the other thing is too, you've got more licensing concerns with Adobe and Docker. Well, yeah, and I do think licensing has probably kept um, some Adobe people away from Docker, especially if they have standard licenses. The official Adobe images are the least used images out of all of the responses. Um, and again, this is a fairly small you know, number of responses. And there's 14 people who say they're using the official Adobe images. So that's why we need more people answering the survey to get um, you know, a larger a larger selection. Yep. Uh, there's four people that say other, and I'm curious what they're using. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, this is all super useful information. I love just to scroll through here and just look at all this stuff. But before we can do that, you guys ought to fill it out. Yep. Sounds good. And Charlie said that would apply also to the Adobe CF images. Yes, Um, it would. Yeah. And he says licensing issues with CF Docker images used in production, whether Adobe or Autis, are definitely a a thing. And we're hoping to get more and more. Yeah, because it's, well, yeah, unfortunately, the licensing is a little bit worse with the command box images because if you have a standard license of Adobe Cold Fusion, you pretty much can't use command box in production because command box does a war deployment behind the scenes, which is considered a J2E installation, um, and Adobe considers that to be an enterprise feature. Um, so you're pretty much required to use an enterprise license for any kind of production command box deployment. For local you know, developer license, it doesn't matter. Um, but that that severely limits a lot of people who have a standard license and say, oh man, we love command box, we're gonna put it in production. We're like, not with a standard license, you're not. Um, that was something that Adobe was gonna try to change for us years ago. Yeah. And uh, it just didn't happen. And unfortunately they, they were unable to make the changes they needed. Um, but yeah, licensing uh, I think is always kind of a, um, a, a 
point of friction for a lot of people moving to you know Docker command box any kind of containerized automated stuff, which is which is really sad, honestly, because I think that's where people need to be headed. But yeah, well, that, uh, that aside, answer the survey and do it now. Yep. Okay, CFCAS. So this week we have uh, three more videos released for the object-oriented programming with Nolan Irk. So uh, he has why composition over inheritance, diamond design problems, and interfaces with ducks. Uh, if you want, you can check out the first four videos in that series for free. Um, we also have three. First one's free, baby. Yep. Get him hooked. And then the we also have three more videos coming in that series. We have combining inheritance composition interfaces, intro to design patterns, and we have creational patterns intro showcase singleton transient factory. So those three videos are uh, going to be released later today, I believe. Um, and then we also have the first ones coming from the up and come up and running with quick, the quick workshop series. So uh, we have those coming out this week and then coming soon. We have what's new with Coldbox six, what's new in QB eight, more of using Docbox, and then logbox 101 will be starting very soon too so lots of really great content there remember not everything is paid um, you can log on sign up for free and then there's a lot of great free content there as well obviously we have a, a good selection of premium content which uh you know we have a small subscription fee to, to get that monthly and if your subscription uh, to patreon is bronze or above you get a free cfcast um, one built in so that's where it's at folks the patreon bronzer above gives you cf cast and much much more yep so a lot of great content every week we're dropping new content there so keep an eye on it so we'll give you the updates as we go okay conferences so this coming up we have adobe cold fusion developers week next week so remember no podcast next week because you should be watching a session from the conference so um, the agenda is now on the site. Uh, some of the tracks uh, even have the descriptions as well. So if I can pull that up, I'll show you uh, while we're talking. But there's a, a, some new faces on the, the speaker list. Looks like they're pretty much filled out almost every session. So there's, I think, four or five time blocks, two tracks. So a lot of, a lot of good stuff. Remember, it's free to sign up. It's going to be next week. So you see there's different tracks. You can see the descriptions by clicking the little plus button on the far right-hand side. And so you can find a little bit more detail uh, about the sessions. So yeah, it looks like one, two, three, basically three or four on each of the days. And then there's two tracks. So yeah, a lot of good content. As you can see, some of the new faces here that weren't up there previously. Uh, I recognize most of them. There's a couple of new faces, but most of them are the tried and trues. So a lot of good content. Uh, definitely worth signing up for. Can't be free. So and apparently they have uh, lots of prizes and vouchers and stuff you can win through their little uh, virtual conference uh, setup too. So curious to see how that that is set up. But that's going to be Tuesday. Uh, sorry, uh, June 22nd through the 24th online. And then, um, again, no podcast next week because we'll be busy watching the cool stuff on the dev week. So we also had um, Apple WWDC 2021 last week. That was June 7th through 11th. So if you go to developer.apple.com slash WWDC 21, you can see what you missed. And then, Brad, you want to recap the oldest conferences for 2021? 
I can. I'm just tweeting at the moment. Just tweeting about into the box. Um, yeah, where are we at? Where are we at in these crazy show notes? Sorry, I scrolled all the way back up the top of the show That's notes. That's okay. So, audit conferences. So just all right, into the recap. box, 2021, live, in-person, Texas. Be there, be square. Obviously, we understand that people in other countries probably have a lot of crazy stuff to face that could quite possibly make it not be worth it. But hopefully, uh, we can get a good group of stateside people. So, September 23rd, 24th, no workshops, just two days of awesome. Um, call for speakers is coming soon. And um, we'll be sending that out along with the registration information uh, ASAP. So into the box, LATAM, Latin America, down in El Salvador. Uh, we'll also be live in person December 2nd or 3rd, 2021. So we'll, we're confirming those dates right now. And um, that will be our Spanish conference. And if I'm lucky, maybe I'll get a chance to go down to that one this year. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. How the yeah, travel is. You're working on your travel. working on your Spanglish. <laughs> My Spanglish, see, si, senor. Yeah, I know we should. I should be like fluent now. Of, uh, we got a pretty big team growing, or the oldest team, and I'm usually the only yeah, one. Yeah, that as, as many in. people as we as we work with on a daily basis to speak Spanish, you think I'd be better at it by now? <laughs> <laughs> ah, getting there. I can understand what they're talking about roughly, so that's at least something. But I sure can't say anything. <laughs> So that's a breakdown of our conferences. If you need more conferences, remember comps.tech is a great site for listing tons of conferences from lots of different uh, genres and locations. Okay, so next up, we have our blogs, tweets, and videos of the week. And we're going to start with uh, a two-part series from Will DeBruin. And we'll share the screen for this. But basically, he ran into a problem where um, they had a really good amount of code. And the sites were working well, and they wanted to reuse the code for multiple customers. The only difference is they, they have their own database where their data was stored. And so basically he had two ways he wanted to, to work around this. We can either deploy a new application for every customer. Uh, for a small amount of customers, this might be acceptable. Or for the base URL, they can detect which data source they need for which customers. And so basically this two-part series is him working out how to use a dynamic data source based on the URL. So, um, he started with the sort of general queries where we have um, query, query execute, and those different things. And so basically, a lot of times, you just have to add the data source and change it from this data source to that data source, and it may be a setting you have. Uh, the hard part, he said, was when you have a default data source in your application CFC, uh, that means you had no data source on all your queries, etc. And so uh -huh. you had to basically go and, and add that. And obviously, if you're using QB, which was a, um, a sort of a starting point, you have this extra option, similar to Query Execute, where you add the data source uh, into that. And so it wasn't as pretty. And so they came up with some interesting things where um, they used an interception point of pre-QB execute. And so basically, he made it a little interceptor that did all the hard work for him when he's using QB. So... Basically, it looks at the data source, gets a private value um, of the main data source, and then basically, if it doesn't have the the data source key, then it adds it. Which is pretty neat. So I'm curious. And I think Bill's in the chat. Maybe he can answer. I'm curious why he didn't just change the this dot data source, the default data source in the application CFC, because that runs on every request, and then you can just look at the host name and just set the name of the data source you wanted then you could just leave the data source off in QB and let QB just do its generic thing. 
Chris, uh, if that didn't work or if there's a reason, maybe the logic that aside the data source was something that couldn't run until it was inside the cold box. So it was too late for the application that CFC. I'm just a little curious about that. Yeah, I know it's a, it's, it's kind of a tricky one. Uh, the other one he has step two was looking at, um, basically ORM, which was a big, uh, big headache compared, um, to QB because with that, um, Always CFORM, you have to sort of basically hard code it in the application when it starts up, you can't dynamically switch it, um, very easily. I think Luis did find a way to change that at some point. Um, but basically when this blog post, he walks through the process of, uh, you know, explaining why you're locked down, uh, you know, basically with the CFRM and why he went to quick. And so quick, um, basically gave him three different ways to do it. And so he had three different ways. Option one is using instant ready to be able to get the data source. And then you can override the new query method. And I thought it was pretty neat. And then using interception QB execution as well. So it looks like the same uh, fix would actually work because quick underneath uses QB and so that still works. So that's pretty interesting. So, um, yeah, just one of those things. A lot of people, uh, like to, you know, pull their code and have it work differently from different customers, but all inside the same application. So, yeah, I thought it was pretty interesting. So some interesting blog posts there from Will. Okay. Now, next up, we have one from, uh, from Ben Nadal. And so this one is actually about his email tool that he's been building. And so we actually released a 2018 ColdFusion 2018 compatible version of his custom tags DSL for HTML emails. And the main reasons why is these are the compatibility issues that he ran into. So I thought this might be a good guide for anyone, even if you're not worried about Ben's custom tag emails tool, but basically a, a way to show, um, you know, show some of the differences and why you may not, uh, you know, why you want to look at certain things when you're switching from one to the other. Um, so I thought it was interesting too, how he mentions that Lucy has nicer iteration values, nicer tags and scripts and text, and then their get base tag metadata is fundamentally different. And so Adobe has some, some errors and compilation issues, etc. Um, like fat error syntax for closures, etc. So anyway, so if you're been following along, uh, he explains it in a little more detail in this blog post, but if you're on Adobe 2018 and wish you could use this module, now you I can. I thought that fat arrows do work in 2018. So long as you're on update six, five or six or later. Yeah. He said specifically enclosures though. So I'm not sure if that... well, he said Adobe cold fusion 2018 doesn't support fat arrow syntax for closures. Yeah. And as of update five, I thought it did. And as of update six, I thought pretty much all the bugs were out of it. Oh, well, maybe Ben just has an older version. It's probably because he has a f install on his machine, not command box. <laughs> so. um, ben the Dale does use command box, but I don't know if he uses it for Adobe Confusion. Um, yeah, maybe I'll add a comment and ask him about it. Now, there, there may have been a, a bug in it, but in my experience, um, Adobe's Fatero syntax or support um, is actually better than Lucy's at this point. Oh, really? Um, yeah, when Adobe first rolled it out in Update 5, it kind of sucked. I put in like seven tickets. Of they fixed all of them in Update 6, and I haven't found any problems in it. Lucy still has outstanding issues. 
in their fat error syntax that they haven't fixed now, um, which pisses me off. Uh, but yeah, so maybe, but maybe he was just on an older version. I'll, I'll ask him right now in the, in the comment section, just out of curiosity. Okay. I'm curious if there are any other bugs I wasn't aware of in, in uh, Adobe's fat error. Yeah, maybe. It might just be the version he's using on his servers um, as well, because I know, obviously, Envision uses um, Adobe, and then he uses um, Lucy locally at home or on his personal stuff. Okay, so next up, we have another one from Ben, and this one is actually talking about using Launch Darkly REST API to update a rule configuration. So this one's kind of interesting because it shows how you can interact with, you know, an API from ColdFusion. And I always like the way Ben breaks down his, his approach. And so um, basically he, he builds a little architecture and he likes to abstract things out. And so he's basically pulled out into three different things, a REST HTTP client, a REST gateway, and then a REST service. And so, one of the things I really liked in here, though, is in his HTTP client, he actually has a, you know, try HTTP call with retries, and the retries will automatically try it so many times with so much of a, a gap between them, which I thought was pretty neat. So you can see he's got this little little app here, um, and then basically makes a call to, you know, add a subdomain rule, and then he can remove a subdomain rule, and he works through it. So you can basically uh, add these rules. And so he's got the service and he's got some methods, passing keys and subdomains. And the retry stuff, is that something that's built in or is that something no, he just wrote? He wrote. Let me okay. find it real quick. Yeah, I told him I'm gonna cool. I'm gonna steal I'd it. I'd actually I'd actually wondered about a built-in feature for that. Um I noticed the other day I was using like an ant build or something. I was using just one of the basic built-in ant tasks that'll go get a URL. I noticed it would try it like five times before it would, you know, quit just in case like the server was offline or there was a problem. Um, and it was just kind of a, just a, an out of the box functionality, I believe, of that ant task. Um, and I was thinking like that could be a useful feature. Now, obviously, you'd, you'd only want to do it for like identifying URLs. If you were sending a post to an API, you wouldn't want to retry it five times because yeah. you might, you know, you might create five orders or something. But yeah. like that could be kind of a cool like CF HTTP retry equals five or, you know, whatever the heck. Yeah. Um, I know. I was thinking we could add it to Hyper if it's not already in Hyper, Eric, if you're listening. Now, <laughs> there is, 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 is a feature in Lucy, if I can find it, which you, you may be able to use. Oh, I don't think it's in their freaking docs. I saw Gert demo this in like a Hidden Gems talk. That's what he calls gems. Um, a Hidden Gems talk. I, I swear it was a retry attribute that I thought was on the CF catch or the CF try tag where you could just tell it like an automatic like retry three times or something. Um, but I'm looking in Lucy's docs and of course I can't, I don't see it listed, which may just mean there are docs are out of date or maybe it means that I'm not sure. Where is it? Retry? I'll see if I can find that now. Because um, you could probably... Okay, maybe maybe it's the CF retry tag that I was thinking of. Because I don't think this is an Adobe tag. The CF retry tag in Adobe? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think there yeah, is a retry. Lucy not supported in Adobe Cold Fusion. So this is a Lucy only thing. 
and you put it in your catch block and it's basically like a go-to. I, I, I swear I remember Gert saying that um, Misha like literally used like a go-to statement in the bytecode to, to, to implement this. Hmm. Um, Interesting. It's a little, it's okay. It's not as nice as I remembered. It requires um, a separate like if statement and a counter to keep track of like how many times you retry, gotcha. um, which is a little janky to have that boilerplate. Otherwise you just retry forever. But yeah, you can you can drop a retry tag in in the catch that will just say go back and, and try the, the try again. Um, huh. Yeah, I think this is what I saw Gert demo. It's just it's not as you know. What's ironic is the example here is actually a CFHTP call. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, I think it'd be kind of cool to have a retry, like just like as a first class feature to CFHTP for stuff like that. But anyway, so it's yeah. a bit of a side thing. It's just something that I thought about before that. Been yeah. talking about that jog my memory. Very cool. Okay, so we have a couple of blog posts from Adam Cameron. So is one where he's using TDD when adding new code to existing untestable code. I think this is actually got some uh, PHP examples, so I'm not going to go into too much detail, but it does have a workflow that he used, uh, and using TDD is a, a good way to approach updating legacy code or untestable code, as you might say. So we'll share that for those who want to dive deeper. And then we also, I th think it was a week ago, we talked about messing around with mixins. Were you on that podcast or was it Eric? No, but I was in the conversation on Slack that spun his blog post out. Okay, yeah. So he had, he had two more parts basically to that section. So we're gonna we'll share those there. But basically, experimenting with different ways to do mixins, different results, and then obviously Adam giving his opinion on what he likes and doesn't like. And uh, it all started from you know mixins and should you be using them or not and it's kind of interesting i mean obviously we use them with cold box but we try to use them in a way that's performant and, and it makes sense but a lot of times um you should really be using a utility if you have something which things need to share because obviously mixing the same functions and especially if you have a large number of them into every uh cfc you use can really bloat your cfcs pretty quick yeah, so. I, I didn't. This is right before I went on vacation. I had intended to put in a ticket to look at adding this as a first class feature of Wirebox because um, the code to do it isn't that isn't that interesting or isn't that complicated. I don't really care for the use case in general to begin with because part of the Slack conversation was me asking because um, Adam didn't start the conversation but appeared to be familiar with the, the code base the question referred to. Um, part of the conversation was are you really, and at least from my perspective or on my end was, why are you doing it this way? I don't think it's the right way to do it. Uh, unfortunately, they they had some design, design decisions that were part of an existing application and they needed it to work that way and it wasn't an option. So Wirebox supports mixins and in, in my proxy Coldbox, but it's a CFM file. So you can take a CFM file full of UDFs or even like a list of them and you can tell, um, you know, Wirebox, hey, mix in all these UDFs into this CFC or all of these CFCs. Um, what the, the user in, in question wanted to do specifically um, was take all the UDFs from another CFC and mix those into a whole bunch of CFCs, but they didn't want to use inheritance. Well, they couldn't use inheritance because they had like three or four CFCs full of UDFs and they wanted all of them to be mixed in and there was no kind of inheritance chain between them. There were more, I got the feeling like utility methods and they just wanted them all just to kind of magically be a part of everything. And so we had talked about the virtual inheritance behavior of Wirebox, but Wirebox's virtual inheritance only allows you to virtually inherit from one superclass. 
So at most, you could get two superclasses, one using the actual extends attribute, the CF engine implementation, and then one using virtual inheritance. But they wanted to have a whole like mess of CFCs that they just shook upside down and dumped all the UDFs into all their other you know services. So at that um, point, you're like, yeah, why are you doing it this way? Right, exactly. And so I think you have to be really careful of mixins, like you said, because they're, they're kind of magic, you know, and you could be overriding methods already there. You, you, there's questions of our developers, where are these magic methods coming from? Um, but they, you know, this particular user insisted, you know, regardless, we have to do it this way. It's just a design decision. It's as a requirement that we do it. So, you know, could they er the edit the original CFCs? I'm sorry. Could they edit the original CFCs? Did they or could they? Could they? I believe so. Because what I've done before, where I needed something shared between multiple CFCs, is basically extract them out to a CFM and then include them in both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's probably several ways they, they ways they could yeah. do it, but I I think based on what they had set up, and then it may have been from another framework. I'm not entirely sure. It's one of those slack conversations where you don't really know all the details. Yeah, you just know what the overarching requirement was. But basically, in the slack conversation, I had said, yeah, I mean, you can do it. It's not even that much code. It's UDFs are just they're like variables. You can pass them around like arrays or structs, and you yeah. can inject them in. So yeah, so you know, Adam went to his blog and, and mocked up you know what it would look like to do that. Um, yeah. And I think it could be useful to add this into Wirebox. I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, I wouldn't do it that way. But hey, if you want to do it that way, I mean, it's not like it's a ton of code. It can be done. <laughs> whether whether it makes sense is you know a different conversation. But yeah, for sure, it was it, it was a fun conversation either way. Just talking about what are all the tools you can use and what's the the right way. Yeah, so Adam wrote three blog posts on it, and each blog post is basically a book. So if you need a, a you know some <laughs> something long to read, you can uh, go through and look at all the different uh, mental exercises he went through with that. So, but yeah, it's definitely interesting. So we have a new blog post from a new person. I haven't. I think we've seen a couple of his Mark Brockenstead, and so in this one here, uh, he was wanting to basically figure out. Um, you know, refactor a common function in the CMS platform he's working on. Um, basically, he wants to mock a query so he can use in his test box and test suites. They're using is this test the person who's using QueryStem? Yeah, he's using QueryStem. Yeah, I, I saw this question on Slack, but yeah. I didn't read the whole thread. So he wanted a, basically a no uh, for one of the columns, but he couldn't do it with QueryStem, so Luis, fix it. Um, but long story short, um, this is what, Adam, I assume that's the outspoken chap from Europe he's referring to, um, basically gave some uh, some code. But basically... The outspoken uh, chap from Europe. Well, you he's know, in Europe. Probably, he's from... Yeah, Zoom. Adam will probably take that personally because he is uh, from Australia. He just No, he's not. <laughs> he's from New Zealand. No. <laughs> you clown. Oh, so dang it. They're all <laughs> the same thing, aren't they, Gavin? I mean, what would yeah. you know about that corner of the world? Uh, well, if I if I said you were from uh, South America no. or Canada, you probably wouldn't be too impressed with me either. So. Yeah, North America is close enough. Yeah. It's all this side of the world. Yes, you're correct, New Zealand. Um, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so this is what he provided. So he basically had this little null function that you could put into the, the query near. And basically, it just calls a function called null, and it returns nothing, which is null. So therefore, calling this actually returns a, a whole fusion null. Not a Java null, but a whole fusion null, and that does the trick. Is so there that, a difference? Um, theoretically, I think so. I don't but think there is. I don't know. Because you can use Javacast null, but 
Yeah. Anyway. So here, here's the thing. If you're on Lucy, don't use any of that. Use null value, which is a built-in function that, does that Lucy this, has right. that Adobe doesn't because Lucy is freaking amazing and they think of these amazing things that save you time. So if you're in Lucy, you need a null, null value. It's a built-in function. If you're in Adobe, you have to use the JavaCast crap or you have to write your own UDF and it just doesn't have a return or has an empty return. Yeah. Um, but by the way, yeah, as far as the cold fusion null versus versus a Java null, I don't I don't believe there's a difference. Unless you're talking about like, you know, not having null support active and you know, null yeah. is turned into empty strings. Well that that's yeah, that's definitely what uh he had here because yeah, he didn't want to turn the, the Java support for oh sorry, not Java, the cold fusion support for null because it would break too much stuff. But right. anyway, long story short, um this works then I think we should add something like that into it for a view there. Um, well, because I saw the conversation and my first thought was we could add a placeholder into um, query sim that when found, we would replace with an actual null. Yep. Um, but I mean... We could just have a mockbox function that does the same whenever thing. You're, well, whenever you're parsing strings, you always run into the issue where whatever the special placeholder is that means, no, really, I want a null. What if somebody wanted that actual exact text in there? How do you tell the difference? But if you make it something fairly arcane that is not very likely, because query sim just takes a string. It just parses it as a list inside of a list. Um, yeah. So, you know, to turn something into a null, you have to be a special sequence of characters that, you know, could never mean anything but a null. It, it would probably be okay I, i've never ran across this before now i've usually just relied on um you know them being empty strings but it sometimes you do run into a, a weird case where you actually need to know from the database was the column null or was it an empty string because it can have two different meanings yeah so nice little exercise though yep so next up we have a blog post from charlie and this is a pretty funny one because um in 2016 um and previous versions if you had yes or no's and you tried to serialize it using serialized json um basically it would turn it to false so i have uh one of my sites for an old customer where they have a lot of names in their system and so a lot of these doctor names they were doctor no and so everywhere that doctor no showed up in the system using my api would be doctor false and they were not happy about this <laughs> and so basically uh 2021 and 2018 now properly handle those things um and so they don't actually convert them to booleans anymore um you can actually solve that in 2016 as well and charlie put some information here basically it all started with a question of this bug ticket so um to be you... clear this is nothing new though this is just kind of talking about something that's been around for a while well saying that it's fixed in 2018 and 2021 and you can actually right, but it was it was fixed like two years ago, right? I mean, it's like this isn't like new news. This is just a recap. Yeah, basically. But I just, um, yeah, I don't know if some people actually knew that it was fixed and which versions no. it was fixed, etc. So, but, I have I have a blog post I had done a few years ago before they fixed it, explaining why JSON serialization always worked in Lucy the way it should and why it didn't work in Adobe Confusion the way it should, which is was the core of this entire problem, which yeah. all goes back to everything being stored as a string, all simple values being stored as a string in Adobe, whereas Lucy preserved those native Java-Lang double types yep. or Java-Lang Boolean types, so there was no guessing. Um, and I was very pleased when Adobe made the change. The, yeah. the set metadata workaround in 2016, I always thought was a, a, a terrible ugly band-aid on the side of the original problem which was throwing away the data type in the first place 
Um, I wish that Adobe would have, instead of spending that development effort on their whole set metadata nonsense, I wish they would have actually just fixed the core problem way back in 2016 and preserved those natural booleans and doubles at the Java layer. But instead, they gave us an ugly Band-Aid for a whole version before actually just fixing how the core of the engine worked. Because once you, once you keep track of the original data type, all that guessing when you serialize into JSON just disappears. You yep. know, is this a Boolean? I don't know. You tell me, is it a Boolean? Um, anyway. So it doesn't this, help performance too, because you're not checking types all the time and guessing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because every simple value would have to be tested and say, you know, does this appear to be a number or a Boolean? Um, and that's why every once in a while you get some strange numbers that actually look like dates when they shouldn't never look like dates and stuff like that. I mean, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Cold fusions. Uh, is this a date logic has also been um, a thorn in the side of many people that, that will, you know, the, you say, you know, if is date returns true, parse it as a date and you wind up with some really funky strings that, that can technically be converted to dates, but, yeah, that's that's the the double-edged sword, I suppose, of such a dynamic, loosey goosey language that handles data types. Yeah, and Charlie agrees. Uh, it's definitely ugly to set metadata. <laughs> <laughs> and he says he he did write it because it was coming up in conversation. Online resources were showing old information, so makes sense. I mean, I have heard people talking about it somewhat recently, but they were people still on like really old versions of Adobe Cold Fusion. Yeah, unfortunately, and it was like if you'd update, this problem would go away for you. Yep, that's what updates are good for. I mean, the Lucy people would be like, we never had this problem to begin with. I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> yep. Okay, next up, we have find a job. And this week, we have six jobs listed on getcfmljobs.com. So we have a cold fusion developer and, I don't know, is it Creevy Coral? I don't know. It's probably a, a f looks almost Frenchish. Uh, we have a cold fusion developer in Fort Washington. Um, Toronto, Ontario, and Canada. We actually have another one there. I wonder if they're the same or not. Um, we have a, another ColdFusion, senior ColdFusion web developer in East Norton, and we have a senior software developer at Remote. And this Remote one I know is special because it's for Audis, so you can find out a bit more information um, about that job. And we actually have another Audis position as well. So we have that senior software developer in the US, and we also have... Um, one for our El Salvadorian friends. So if you want to join the El Salvadorian team, we have a position available for that too. So if I share the order site under about dash us careers, you can see we have this position, senior cold fusion developer. And again, we mentioned the US time zone availability is a must and a US citizen resident or a work visa is a must as well. And then we have the El Salvadorian. So you can check your Spanish here, Brad. Um, I can, yeah. And one of our so friends was this, uh, this one from Missouri. I grew up in Missouri and I've never heard of this city name. It's Cree Core, whatever. It's a suburb of St. Louis, which is hilarious. I can't believe I've never heard of that. Hmm. I'm so uncultured. Yeah. Oh, geez. I mean, at least you yeah, guys like study good. geography. I mean, we didn't do any American geography, so I'm surprised I know where I live. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I went to St. Louis a lot growing up. It was it was kind of one of the closest big cities. I've probably driven through this city and just never learned the name of it. Yeah. So yeah, some good job opportunities there. So get cfmiljobs.com and again we have two on orders. Uh, yeah, hopefully you can jump in and start a, a process there and get some interviews and we'd like to see some new faces on the team. We've had some new ones lately and uh, we love it. Okay.
So next up, we have our Forgebox module of the week. And this one, I'm surprised we haven't covered yet. So we are going to be talking about Mementifier, the we state maker. We have never talked about Mementifier? I know. I've, we've been starting to slowly repeat some of them. Um, basically repeat some of the older ones that have had massive updates in our Forgebox module of the week. Because not everyone's going to go back and listen to all 108 episodes like crazy people that I would be. But yeah, so let's talk about Mementifier. So Mementifier, the state maker basically helps you transform your business objects into native cold fusion data structures with speed and so it's great because it injects itself into orm objects and business objects alike it gives you this get memento function so basically if you call get memento on any of these uh, objects it'll actually give you back like a struct of data json friendly style um, but it's basically a cold fusion data structure and it has all the all the properties and the relationships that you want uh, and basically into a structure of array and structures. Uh, the cool thing is it automatically detects ORM entities and uh, this even works with Quick now. So we use it all the time. Um, well, so, like a quick integration. Yeah, it really does work really nice with Quick. Um, so there are settings if you want to change some stuff. You can actually set up, you know, formatting for ISO formats, date masks, time masks etc um but yeah basically as i mentioned you can put a whole lot of detail into it but um you know you can choose the columns if you want to have the defaults maybe you want to hide stuff like passwords so your bcrypt uh password hash doesn't get spit mm -hmm. out etc so you can have include default includes you can have default excludes as well so you can exclude the ones you don't want to show um you can even have nested includes so role.roll name will actually go out to the role relationship and get the role name from that so this is really powerful um it has a lot and of cool features and it's really easy you just plug it in and start using it and then if you don't like what you get back from it then you tweak it yeah i mean the nice thing about mentifier is like the out-of-the-box functionality just works it's really great and it can reduce a ton of boilerplate because if anybody's ever built an API and they're using, you know, object-oriented development to get CFCs, they've written some sort of function that, you know, loops over all the properties and builds out some JSON representation. So, you know, the out-of-the-box functionality of Mementifier, you can just drop in and start calling, you know, get Memento. But then anything that you can possibly think of that's like, oh, I wish that default behavior was slightly modified, we've Luis has probably thought of it and there's probably support for it, you know, as far yeah. as the, the includes, the excludes, the nested relationships. And we he use just, this for yeah. all of our stuff. He said um, we just added time work. zone translations and profiles now. So you can have output profile profiles. Is, profiles new. What's that? So then you can have um, different profiles. You can have an export profile. And so that has different information. So you can say you want to use oh, this profile. Two different, two different representations of a user then. So if you want to, you can yeah have, you know, basically like a slim, you could have a slim lookup, which is just basically for user, you may have, you know, first name, last name, email, but you may have a full one that has all their, um, you know, their social media links and websites and all that different stuff. Um, yeah, I like that. Yeah, because maybe your API doesn't uh, include sensitive information like passwords or IDs but you want to have an export feature, which is just everything, you know, for internal purposes only you can you can use that export profile that's really nice i'm, yeah. I'm telling you whatever whatever you can think of is probably built into mementifier yep i like the results quit mapper writing, too. yeah quit writing your custom logic to create json representations of your of your objects yep 
That's the, the, one of the coolest things about the memento fire, in my opinion, is how well, we just talked about mix-ins, right? We talked about mix-ins earlier. It uses mix-ins so that magic little get memento function just automatically boop, appears in all of your CFCs without any boilerplate on, on your behalf other than just configuration on top of the faults. So you just install, and this is the this is the whiz bang of cold box, right? Um, is box install mementifier, boom. Your user CFC now has user.getMemento. Yep, yep, and all my quick objects automatically have mementos available and they spit out every single property that I've defined in it automatically without having to do anything. And we can just throw it into, basically throw it into a, a, a response object saying set data this.getMemento, or if you have a list, you can even do as memento.get for quick, and it'll make all the items in the array into mementos already, so you don't have to map over it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's really sweet, but I love how you just get this drop in functionality. Um, you only find this stuff in cold box, people. You don't find it in your homegrown framework. You don't find it in framework one. Where else can you just box a solvent to fire? Every, every CFC in your app now has a get memento method. It does whatever you need yeah i really like the fact you can pass in flags to inst install this you know include this relationship or get that one and it'll actually know to be able to go and you know go out to that object's get memento with its defaults to get its data too and you can override it's recursive the yeah recursive. The power of recursion yeah it's pretty neat anyway it's pretty awesome go check it out um yeah i'm surprised we hadn't covered it but now we have so it's got lots of cool goodies in the new one Okay, next up, Visual Studio Code, hint, tip, and trick of the week. And this Remote one... Repositories. Yes, is a new one from GitHub. It's in a preview, but it's called Remote Deposit Repositories. And so what this allows you to do, for those watching, you can watch along, but basically lets you browse, search, edit, and commit to any remote GitHub repository directly from Visual Studio Code without having to clone it. So instead of using their editor, you can basically just point it at a Git repo. You don't have to worry about cloning it down or any of that stuff. So you don't have to worry about, oh, is it out of date or any of that stuff? Or have they got some weird code I don't want on there? Basically, Crazy. you can just so point it at a it repo. I like, secretly clones it behind the scenes. Because like sometimes repos can be like hundreds of megs. I'm, I'm curious if you can point to them and just edit them. Well, you know what? It, if, this, if this only works for GitHub, I bet this uses a GitHub-specific API to be able to list out files and things without yeah, doing a full clone. I mean, GitHub built it, so it's probably got a little more flexibility. Um, right, it says exactly. no cloning or local repository required. But I'm, I know what you mean. It may be in the back. So, But yeah, quickly search repository. Or, I bet, I bet they don't clone them. it behind the scenes. I bet they just use their API to be able to list the files and do it. That's really cool. And I wonder if you can do a search. Like, can you do a VS Code search on all the files? Because at some point, unless they're passing that search onto the server to be run, they would have to have the contents, the files. Yeah. So for those watching with the little animated GIF here, yeah, you just search, search your little list, so pull it up. Will it create a pull request if you don't own the, the repo? I'm assuming so. It says it handles almost everything that you need directly. So to quickly review pull request, just trying to figure. Oh, and then if you want to, so you can clone it locally or in a container or open in code spaces. So if you want to continue working on something, um, yeah, so basically if you want it, some of the more powerful environments is 
Um, if you continue working on, it allow you to clone it or clone it into a container volume. So if you have containers, you could do a container volume using a remote container, or you could open in code spaces. Remember, which was part of um, GitHub's new code spaces thing. So you can mm-hmm. do that from VS Code too. Right, it does have limitations. My, here's the answer to my search question. Full text search requires a pre-built index for exact text matching. Otherwise, it'll fall back to GitHub's fuzzy default branch only native search. So if it's like a huge repo and you haven't pre-built some index, you'll basically you can still search it and it'll be the same search that you would get on the GitHub website, which I'm sure again they're probably just hitting their API. Yeah. It says some extensions don't work on a virtual workspace, but over time more of them will support it. But the ones that obviously work on direct access to local files won't be able to support this right now. But yeah, I mean for those little changes, it's kind of neat, you know. But yeah, I mean, because I'll make little changes to a, a repo, you know, and I'll just use GitHub's website. We just, you know, navigate to it. And, and it's got better. It. The editor is a lot better, uh, for sure. Yeah, it's just not bad. I don't I don't mind doing it. Now, now that the, the automatic pull request creation is just, you know, unnatural part of the workflow, it's really easy to submit something, a change to another repository that you don't have, you know, commit rights to. Um, and this kind of sounds like, you know, just an extension of that, but inside VS Code. What will they think of next? So this is a preview release. Yep, preview. I'll have to play with this one. Yep, I know. I'm, I'm just thinking this is perfect because a lot of times I don't have every single uh, <laughs> every single repo downloaded. I've got so many, so much stuff on my site and my, my servers. I'm like, oh, I just want to clear it all off and have a clean slate. So this might be pretty nice. You can work on multiple branches simultaneously. Ooh, it automatically detects if there are new changes in GitHub, so you always stay up to date. Ooh. Indicates the number of unfold commits, flags, potential merge commits. That's nice. Yeah. Because that, that's always a, a typical problem, right? You, you clone an upstream repo, you start working on your changes. Two days later, the maintainer adds some commits, and you're like, ah, crap, my, my fork is out of date now. Yeah, I have to try and... They've thought of everything. Update the fork. Yep. So, pretty cool. So, that's our visual what? code. Hint tip trick of the week. Apply uncommitted changes across branches. Whoa. That sounds kind of crazy and scary at the same time. It's the button of doom. (laughs) What have you unleashed on your source code? Yeah. Okay. So next up, we have our Patreon supporters. So again, for those who weren't listening to the start of the show, these lovely, amazing Patreon supporters uh, help us fund this podcast, as well as all the other things that Audis funds for the community, like Command Box, Forge Box, Cold Box, Content Box, Test Box. And that includes, you know, all of our cloud infrastructure that basically runs ForgeBox and uh, the package management with CommandBox. So very important. And so we're very, very thankful for all of our patron supporters. We have 36 supporters right now, and they're funding 83% of this podcast. And for them, we've given them some perks lately. And so if you're a patron supporter, you will have a special profile badge on your community, on the Autos community website. You'll also have your own private forum access on the Autos community website. And then for bronze packages, Brad, what do they get? What do they what do they get? I'll tell you what they get. They get Forgebox Pro subscription and a CFCast subscription as a perk from their bronze package Patreon subscription. Yeah. So pretty pretty awesome perks there. So if you're a bronze package supporter or higher, you get that. 
So we wanted to make, you know, give something back. And so that way you guys can uh, keep up on all the awesome Sea of Cast content and then Forgebox Pro. You can have uh, your private packages up on Forgebox. So very, very cool perks there. Maybe so. we should sweeten the deal and throw in like a like a discount on the Ordis Box Life store or something. Yeah, that might be a good idea. I think Luis was in the chat somewhere. So uh, maybe a discount and maybe the more they pay, the bigger the discount. I don't know. <laughs> uh we should just have just like a like a free t-shirt of your choice for like one of the you know the bigger patreon goals yeah well, this there's, there's some nice packages there and we try to support all supporter levels so you too can have the sweet command boxes up t-shirt yeah for sure okay well i think it's your turn brad you want to read off the names what just because i'm on vacation for a couple weeks now you're gonna make me read the names uh, Thank you to our Patreon supporters, Don Bellamy, Eric Hoffman, David Bellinger, Gary Knight, Giancarlo Gomez, Jonathan Perret, Mar Mario Rodriguez, Jeffrey McGee from Sunstar Media, John Wilson from Synaptrix, Yugesh Mathur, Joseph Lamry, Bendedel, Brett DeLine, Carl Von Stutten, Charlie Earhart, Dan Carr, Daniel Garcia, Didier Lesnicki, Edgardo Cabezas, Jan Yannick, Jason Diger, Jeff McLean, Jeremy Adams, Jonas Erickson, Jordan Clark, Kai Koenig, Laxma, Tir Tohadi, Leon Saramelis, Matthew Darby, Matthew Clemente, Mingo Hagen, Patrick Flynn, Ross Phillips, Scott Steinmeck, Stephanie Manji, and Stephen Kotz, our Patreon supporters, folks. Yep, and it uh, sounds like Luis is in the chat, and he says, how about doing an ITB discount as well? So oh. our Patreon supporters oh. can get a discount. So uh, I, I responded as Aldous as well, saying I think that's a great idea. Um, so, yeah, maybe we can give a discount for all of our Patreon supporters and maybe some of the bigger packages. I know that some of them actually have free tickets when you go really high up, um, free tickets to, into the box, etc. So, depending on your package. But, yeah, I mean, really want to say thank you. It doesn't really mean a lot, especially with, uh, with this is something that usually it's a personal thing where they're spending their hard-earned money to support us and, you know, we have packages starting from just 10 bucks a month. So it's like a couple of Starbucks coffees. So if you can uh, part with Starbucks, you know, and support us. Uh, we get Everybody always compares their product to, to Starbucks. I mean, how, many, how many times have you seen that, you know, support us? It's just the cost of one copy a month for Starbucks. Everybody's trying to take away their, their business. Yep, exactly. It's <laughs> a safe bet. I don't drink any I, Starbucks. I, I got no money left. <laughs> I, I make my own coffee like a lot of the time. Like I got my green tea matcha latte with two shots of espresso right here. I'm, I'm slurping on, but I, I spend a lot of money at Starbucks because I'm out driving and I'm lazy and like, oh, I'm just going to go through Starbucks. And, you know, that's like $20 down the drain once you get a sandwich or a lemon loaf. Put it to Patreon. Put it to better use, folks. Yep, for sure. But we do appreciate each and every one of you. And that's why we make a miss your name every week. So <laughs> remember next week. That's why we make it messy your name. Yeah. For our, for our entertainment. Yep. So next week, uh, the 22nd, I believe, we will not be doing a podcast. So go tune out into Adobe uh Adobe's developer week instead. Mm -hmm. And then uh Eric and Brad will be back the following week. I'm gonna go on vacation. So I uh, will see you when I see you. Everybody have a good one and uh we'll we'll catch you in a couple of weeks. Adios. Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this.
The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Blue Tree Audio.